Well, I don't know what you have been told. But I assure you, I don't mean anyone any harm. Welcome to Never Odd or Evens WandaVision podcast with Julie McDonald, Sandy Burdine, and Will Nicholas as we explore WandaVision. Greetings, friends. This is the WandaVision podcast uh, focusing on grief and trauma, and we're into episode three now in colour. As always, I'm joined by Sandy and Julie, and I'm going to give you a brief synopsis before we leap into this uh, episode. Wanda becomes nine months pregnant over the course of 24 hours while she and Vision try to hide her condition from the Westview neighbours and friends. Geraldine, Agnes and Herb reveal that they know more than they're letting on while Geraldine finds herself going on an unexpected trip. Uh, This episode has got a whole bunch of um, uh, different concepts for us, but I think we might just jump straight in with uh, first impressions. Um, what were your first impressions uh, on this episode as you've watched it uh, just recently? Oh, I desperately wanted to go back and watch um, the Brady Bunch and the Partridge family just to check whether my memories of the houses were exactly like it was. I was so excited by that um, Brady Bunch opening and um, and the rooms and, the you know, the big oven and the kitchen that looked like Alice should be standing there and the Brady Bunch and the staircase that looked like Mr Brady should be coming down. So um, I loved the set and I loved the um, the way it looked. It was fantastic. And they've certainly done a remarkable job by creating these triggering sounds and images, um, uh, you know, with the with the sets uh, and and the theme songs. One of the things that I was fascinated to see uh, that they have done, I was watching a, a review of the the, the musical team uh, for this, and they've actually used the same three uh, part chord structure in every single one of the themes all the way through. Um, so they've they've gone, okay, well, if we've got these. This chord structure, what does it look like in a 1940s? Um, what does it look like in a 1950s? What does it now look like in 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 color? And uh, and it's fascinating to have a look at that, um, and and see that um, uh, that there's just so much in these sights and sounds that just trigger us and call us back to um, another place. Um, and, and it's almost like, like, like you said, Sandy, Alice, you know, we expect to see Alice there and, 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 and appearing out of the kitchen and, and, uh, and, and, uh, Jan getting upset with, uh, Marsha, 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 you know, like you, <laughs> you, you're getting your, uh, your, your images coming all back. Um, and, and I think, um, that's a really important point that I wanted to talk about today is in the way in which those kinds of sounds, smells, um, sights, they are actually, um, trigger points for for um, taking us to pleasant places, but also taking us to to difficult places as well. Um, and um, and that's a that's a very real phenomenon when working um, through issues with people. Gosh, it sure is. I mean, you can think of all those times when you've smelt something and it's instantly had you back in a moment in the past, or you've just caught something out of the corner of your eye that looks like someone you've lost, and you're right back there, and the grief um, happens, doesn't it? Yeah, look, I found it really interesting because I, I actually went and had a listen to the uh, the Brady Bunch theme song, you know, that kind of opening song, which is, you know, which is just so very happy families and uh, she with her three girls and he with her his four boys. And the, the theme song to the opening of this episode in colour uh, was really fascinating. It had, it had a couple of really interesting lines in it, but one was all great expectations lead to complications and that seems to play out over and over again in this episode as the pregnancy progresses absolutely and i actually think that um some of these shows especially um uh during that that 70s period were really trying to wrestle with some some great complications um, that society was not ready to grapple with. I mean, the the whole issue of divorce, uh, of blended families, of mm. of 
of of uh, of how do we deal with um, children or parenting children that aren't aren't our own. Um, you know, these things all all came up, and I can't even remember actually. I just mentioned divorce, but I can't even remember whether or not there was a divorce issue in the Brady Bunch, or they were both. Um, widowed or or what the situation was. And, Got a and, feeling they were yeah. widowed. Yeah, yeah. And and so this is a society trying to grapple with it, a rise in family breakdown, um, a rise in blended families, um, a shift in the role of men and women, um, but actually not having the tools or, or the language or the freedom to be able to, to talk about it. And so these shows actually create this container or space to talk about these these difficult, complex issues. Another thing I remember from um, somewhere in my head is that the the Brady Bunch is the very first uh, sitcom where you see the, them in bed together. Um, yes. So before that, that was always the double single, you know, the two single beds next to each other where, you know, never the twain shall meet sort of thing. Um, so I found that interesting in the first episode where it brought the beds together. I thought it reminded me of having read that somewhere that, you know, this was the moment when this um, shocking thing happened where Scandalous. Mrs Brady and Mr <laughs> Brady were in the same bed having nighttime conversations. What? Where might it all end? But it know? kind of heralded um, that, that whole idea of, you know, the kind of intimacy between uh, a husband and wife uh, in that kind of double bed at the same time as introducing all the complexities of family life and which kid's doing what and uh, how things were at work. So... Um, you know, it's like the whole complicated reality of family life is played out uh, in the double bed in the bedroom. Mm. I, I'm always taken by uh, one of the things I do for marriage preparation is uh, I get um, uh, a married couple to watch the movie The Story of Us uh, with Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, and um, in this particular story, they're, they're kind of uh, a married couple with teenagers um, and um, they've given everything they have to the to the family uh, and to work and they've really left nothing for each other and so their relationship is in a difficult place uh, and it's a fascinating movie to watch and there's one particular scene where the kids are away at camp and the the, the Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer are moving up into the bedroom and they're, they're going to have an intimate encounter but uh, what they do with the direction is that uh, um, that suddenly all of the people who exist in their minds appear with them in the bed. And so you've got his mother and her mother and they're engaging with each other as a, as a narrative and then the kids appear and then grandparents appear and a boss from work appears. And so suddenly this... This this sanctimony this this sanctuary kind of space is invaded by all of the narratives and stories, um, and um, it's amazing how many times when I, I I get back together with a couple who's about to be married and say oh what what stood out for you and they want to talk about that scene and they want to say oh how do we how do we keep our relationship with each other um, in in a way that is actually um, connected the way we we might feel before we're married or even in the years just after we're married um, um, with all of these narratives and stories that actually just jump in and intrude and and um, uh, and occupy that space so it's a it's a, it's a fascinating thing we're coming on to this this um, pillow talk um, space um, is the only place where the the, the couple are actually together. And I, I'm also very aware at the moment that we're talking in very um, cisgendered heterosexual language in terms of how this is, but but I'll, I'll talk in terms of the couple are together um, by themselves, So, but also it's the only place they can talk in privacy. And so often the business of the family and, and life is also spoken in that space, especially for those Bradys with, uh, with uh, what is it, six kids in the house of different ages trying to... Make sense well, of that. and it's a real skill, isn't it? You know, to to be able to be to actually kind of bracket out, you know, to you know whether it's uh, the two of them in bed or whether it's even in your friendships or all relationships. Really, there's there's always a lot going on in our own lives, and when it comes to actually talking things through with somebody, how much other things can intrude. So you really have to like what does it what does it take because there's a whole lot of um kind of it, it's where vision and wonder do begin to miss each other 
in communication. It's like they're they're kind of really tuned into each other. And then, you know, there's a, a discrepancy in the communication because something's um hidden or, or or not being said. And and so much of life is tumbling and happening all around them. Which is one of the things that I, I was just about to say actually is that You've got that um, 24-hour gestation period. You know, nine months of preparation to have your first child means that you've got time to do that nesting and that time to do the wondering and that time to think about how we're going to be together in this new world. When that happens in 24 hours, I just... I thought to myself, thank God, I, you know, pregnancy is not the most funnerest of experiences in the whole world, but my goodness, imagine if it went for 24 hours and you weren't prepared. <laughs> Awful but thought. If, if you had magical powers, you know, you could, you could, you could cope with that. You know, you, you don't have to worry about uh, doing the actual painting. You just wave your fingers and suddenly there's painting and there's um, things being prams, or is it beds being, cots being constructed. Um, so, but, but I, I I hear what you're saying, and there's a sense in which I, I guess that when we think about trauma, we often think about a critical event that actually potentially damages us. But but I mean, moving from a a, a couple with with no children uh, to to having children, or or going from one child to another, um, th- these are these are kind of not damaging traumatic events, but they they do carry all many of the same elements of trauma with them when um when life shifts um and and something changes when we 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 have these 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 massive seismic shifts in our lives. Well, and I, th- I think it's it's also we have you know particularly I think with a lot of uh, life events we we anticipate them in a certain way, and of course they don't. They don't quite happen how we think they're going to happen. And, you know, often I think women, they kind of have a fantasy view of how a pregnancy is going to be, and so often that's not the case. And, of course, then you do have these, sometimes there are major traumas, but I think the 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 disappointment that comes of having expectations um, that are often born of quite, you know, you know, an energy of anticipation that's exciting and then suddenly, oh, no, that's actually not very exciting at all, you know, that um, mm. that hurt or somebody didn't respond in the way that I expected them to. Um, so, yeah, I think small life traumas happen in daily life um, as as they do for all of us. You'd, you'd both have experienced many small traumas, I'm sure. Oh yes, absolutely, very definitely. And, and um, sometimes it'd be nice if, when these kind of major events are taking place, if the world could just stop for a bit, um, and we could actually deal with deal with the event that's taking place. But but instead of that, we actually life goes on. We just we find that that we've got to we've got to make these shifts and deal with these changes. Um, whilst the busyness of all of the rest of the life actually continues to go on around us, um, and um, and 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 so we we don't have time to think. Um, we can empathise considerably with Wanda and Vision in this case, where their pregnancy rushes through in a twenty-four hour period, um, and and so you know all all of the other things that are going on around them, the the doctor's holiday and uh, um, all of the other bits and pieces. That are, that are taking place and all the preparations that have to be made um, are, are actually having to be dealt with on top of the rest of daily life. You can see her starting to think about what the trauma might be when that ad break comes in and there's the, you know, the woman saying, you know, mother, the mother saying, are you tired? And the, the blender's going off and all these things are coming in and she's stressed. Um, but one of my very fam- favourite, favourite ads that I use in ministry, you're talking about a, mo- a movie you, 
you use, but I love the um, – there's an ad, and if you Google it, it's on uh, – you'll find it on YouTube. It's it's called Building a Plane in the Sky, and I think it's an IT ad or something, and they're on this plane. This plane's going through space, and the windows have come out, and there's, there's engineers out on the wings kind of, you know, riveting the plane together, and they say, you know, this is what our company does. We build planes in the sky, as though that's okay. Whereas when you when you know big life events happen and like the plane blowing out its windows and you think you're going to die, really you want to do is bring the plane back to the ground, pop rivet all those things in nicely, kind quietly on the ground where it's all nice and safe, <laughs> and then maybe get back to flying again. Uh, but life isn't like well. That. No, it's you know life is what happens when you're making other plans. You know it's it's never what you mm. think it's going to be. Um, yet, and I th- I think this is where there's a kind of s- a slow burn trauma that that happens for people in um, in not accepting that change is is a part of it. You know, change is very much a part of life. We th- we think it's all just kind of static in the day to day, but in fact, it's not. Things don't stay the same, and things certainly don't stay the same for Wander and Vision. And we uh, we mentioned the ad there. Uh, it's another Easter egg in the story. You'll notice that the uh, the product that the uh, the the mother was using in the bath was Hydra. Uh, so it's uh, Hydra is the big enemy um, in um, the Marvel universe. So that's a quite a it's it's this joyful, peaceful ad about taking some time for yourself with this very sinister undertone because it's actually coming from uh, from the the people of Hydra. So it's a um, a fascinating little connection to the rest of the Marvel Universe world there. Um, so with these low level, I like this kind of this idea of the white noise trauma that's sort of sitting behind our everyday life. Um, when we've got something else that's actually behind that that we've 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 bottled or we've we've covered up uh, and it suddenly presents itself like in this episode where, um, we're having this conversation uh, with Geraldine um, and suddenly um, um, Wanda talks about her brother Pedro and the grief is really obvious um, and Geraldine says something really unexpected um, in this moment where she actually declares um, he was killed by Ultron and it's jarring. It just kind of, we're suddenly, we're out of Brady Bunch. We're suddenly going, hold on. She can't know about Ultron. Why are we actually back in this this movie? Um, and and uh, that that's another form of triggering, isn't it? I mean, it, that suddenly she's she's right back into that grief and has to respond um, quite aggressively to protect herself. Yeah, that's a really powerful scene because, of course, she's just given birth to two baby boys, and she's reminded that she herself is one of twins, and mentions. Um, Petra, and then suddenly, yes, Geraldine says, you know, um, he was killed by Ultron. Yes, it is jarring. And so she's kind of gone from this amazing perfection of two healthy, bouncing baby boys to being reminded of something, such a significant loss. Um, and so there's a, there's so much layering happening in that moment, isn't there? You know, there's the the grief and loss of her brother while Geraldine even mentioning this is threatens the perfection of her life right now. Yeah, she's definitely a threat, isn't she? She's and and you can see in the way Wanda wants to get rid of her straight away that she's a threat to her family because she knows too much. And then she notices the little pendant will on her chest. Yep. Um, which is also I think a is that an Easter it is. egg? Yeah, uh-huh, that's right. She has a sword it. on her pendant, which actually, um, so in the Marvel Universe, there are two major agencies. There's S.H.I.E.L.D. and S.W.O.R.D. And S.H.I.E.L.D. is the one that protects um, the Earth from uh, outside attacks. And S.W.O.R.D. is the one that actually um, works on uh, finding uh, ways to take the front foot to go on the attack. Um um, which is a interesting Marvel Universe theme because uh, we, we talk about the Avengers. So the Avengers actually avenge an issue that's actually taken place already. So they're a reactive force and they came out of S.H.I.E.L.D. Whereas um, the Marvel Universe, after it's now discovering that the universe is full of 
terrors and frightening things is actually now saying, okay, we, we can't just have a shield. We need to have a sword. And I found that really fascinating because um, in this particular scene, what we've got is, is, is Geraldine um, really being showing some empathy, um, uh, having some sympathy, uh, attempting in a compassionate way to understand and to care and that that caring and understanding is perceived as a threat. Um, and and I, I I have to say that's that's also very common when I'm when I've been talking to people in counselling situations where where you know that that sometimes that very first conversation that are you okay conversation um, is is actually perceived as a, as a real threat and people become quite aggressive um, in their response to yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's true, Will, because you know you just you know you're just touching on a trauma and and. People are there because they they want support and help, but uh, there's that protection of opening up and allowing anybody into the reality of of that um, yeah of that pain and that experience and yeah having to trust and Gwenda's uh, so, yeah sorry Wanda's not ready to trust anybody. Um, it's it's like she's she's holding the secret of the world she's created and isn't letting anybody in. Well, the last thing you want when you're still sitting there on the floor with your now two babies in your arms is something that's a threat like a sword that perceives m- maybe what you think is, you know, um, wonderful and beautiful and fantastic that maybe there's someone who perceives that as great evil. Mm-hmm. I can imagine why you'd be absolutely terrified. But it's interesting because she, you know, she still makes the choice. She makes the choice to say, I'm one of twins. And she makes the choice mm. um, to say, uh, you know, to mention Pedro. Um, so it's kind of, and I think that happens in situations too where if you've if you've experienced trauma, you, you do want to share it, you do want to let people in. But, of course, when you do, that's jarring. And and so, you know, just as Wanda does, she becomes reactive and she becomes destructive uh, in dispensing with Geraldine. You want to find safe places where you can um, share that, though, don't you? And maybe she feels safe with Geraldine because they've just had this intimate moment of her delivering her baby. I don't know about you guys, but... I often find when people are coming to me as a minister wanting to sort of uh, divulge something that they'll often say something along the lines of, are you sure you're going to be able to handle this? Or, you know, mm-hmm. is like it's it's kind of the almost, can you please tell me this is going to be safe? Yep. Um, you know, I'm about to tell you something, um, at, at, you know, at, at which I always say, yes, of course, I'm here. You know, yes, I'm, I can listen. Um but you can, I, I often take a deep breath when I get to that moment and it astounds me how often it's almost exactly the same sort of sentence, you know, um, do you think you'll be able to handle this? Are you sure you can cope with this sort of um, almost ready to give you the out and in, in case you can't um, share what is for that person the kind of the most precious deep grief that they are about to kind of speak about. And, and often that first grief that they speak about isn't the the grief either. Um, so there's a test grief, and and I think that's what's happening here as well. From the very beginning of this series, um, those who have been following the MCU all the way through and have watched the movies know that the big question here is how is Vision alive? Um, what is Wanda doing? Um, how is any of this this scene possible? Because both of these characters are actually gone. Um, so Vision has been destroyed um, in um, Thanos's final Endgame, um, and there's no coming back. the 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 Mind Stone, which is required for his his um, survival, is is gone. Um, and um, Wanda has blipped. She has faded out and disappeared with all of the other people she she's turned into dust so neither of these characters actually exist when we begin with them and so the audience uh, outside the fourth wall we're actually going well this makes no sense and i know of a number of mcu fans who watched the first episode of wandavision and switched it off and said no nah, this is they're not taking my 
my, my world seriously. This this is too upsetting to, to, to see this ignored in this way. The grief here is actually not about Pedro. I mean, that's a while ago. And, and, in, and in many ways, you might suggest that Wanda is, has worked through that and dealt with that. She's talked to Vision about that. Um, and and others and 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 re-established herself, um, but 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 the real grief here is actually about vision. It's about the fact that mm. she needed to kill the person she loved to save the world, uh, and I, I I I can't imagine what that would be like. Well, it's inconceivable. You're right about the test grief. Mm. Yeah, it's just inconceivable to. To even imagine that, and that's, and I guess that's how people responded to the series. You know, those people who turned that first episode on, it was inconceivable to, um, mm. to pick this up and actually explore it. From an ethics perspective, it's the ultimate trolley problem, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's. There's, there's, you know, what? How do I deal with the fact that this person I value more than anyone else in the universe has to be worth? Less than the whole world, uh, you know. There, there's there's elements of John three sixteen in there from a biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world that uh, they gave their only Son, so that everyone who believes may not perish. So, and 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 religious traditions uh, around the world pick up on this whole idea of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Uh, to quote a, a Vulcan Star Trekism, um, even going intergalactic, um, you know, there there is that. She she was asked to make a sacrifice that was just yeah as you say unthinkable. I'm wondering if I could ask you another question. So there's this other moment when after the or just before she's going to have the baby, um, and and Vision says, "Oh, I'm just going to go and check on the neighbors." Yeah, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself. Are you mad? Like the woman is clearly about there's something about to happen here and you want to go and see what's going on with the neighbours? What, why, what, how? <laughs> and why doesn't she drag him back by the scruff of the neck? There's something interesting going on for Vision here. Um, I think Vision suspects that something is wrong. Like he's beginning to awaken to the fact that that this world that they're living in is is not real. Um, and and it's been manufactured. Um, it's a bubble, um, and and we're beginning to suspect that as well. And um, it's fascinating that interaction he does have with the neighbours, where they want to tell him something, but they can't. And he wants them to tell them what it is, but he can't ask them. And and so you know everybody knows um, this secret, but no one can articulate it or talk about it. And. And and um, yeah, that's that's a really difficult situation for for Vision to be in. Well, it's a bit like the Truman Show. Yes. Yep. In that regard, um, everybody knows the world is constructed except for him. That's correct. And perhaps even we suspect even Wanda knows that. So we we actually now get this idea that Vision is being deceived in whatever is happening, whatever Vision is. Because there, there's this, there's that weirdness about them actually trying to kind of cut into the concrete fence with the, with what should be a, you know, a shearing tool for a, for a hedge, but he's actually cutting down yep. the concrete at the same time as he's trying to tell him that something strange is going on in this world. Well, it's such, it's mm. such a strong, it's such a strong symbol that fence, you know. To, to be soaring into a fence, you know, and this kind of symbol of all is not well uh, here at all. There's a real fracture going on in the experience, um, you know, and vision is being deceived and he's, he's kind of, uh, here's this perfect world of, you know, happy families and creating a family, but here are these people who are acting so strangely and so oddly. Um, and the contrast in their behaviour to to be wanting to tell him something and be really suspicious, and then to just turn it off, you know, to to just switch their behaviour to being um, oh, I don't know how to describe it, but they they're just suddenly uh, like cardboard cutouts. Mm, it was quite Stepford, wasn't it? Stepford wives kind it of was. Uh, 
The other thing that's interesting there is in a commentary on the shift um, into suburbia. So, you know, we, 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 we have this line we throw away. It says it takes a village to raise a child. Um, but, but during this period of time um, in, the, in, in the United States and other places, um, the fence between mm. houses started to come up. Um, and, um, you know, this is my business. What happens inside my house is my business. And so neighbours stopped becoming involved. Um, my grandfather was a police officer and, and he, he told me that policing changed significantly throughout his career. When he was a, a young police officer, he'd be quite happy to, to, to grab hold of a bunch of kids who were vandalising something and then take them back to their parents and then talk through with their parents about how they might be able to deal with that. But but as time went on, um, par- parents would be resisted or offensed, offended that, that, that a police officer would interfere in the family home in that way. Uh, and so police work moved from being more of a social from a from a social work kind of role to a, a purely disciplinary punitive role where instead of taking um, delinquent children home to their family, they now take them to the station to be locked up and then parents would be called to come in to actually um, um, in, engage in an interview. And so so there's this really interesting shift in suburbia where the fence, that's being cut here is now a boundary. Um, and mm. I, I found myself asking about Agnes in this. Agnes is actually really wanting to hold the boundary and I wondered what her motivation for keeping, she seems to be wanting to keep the secret um, and, and appears to know more than she should about what that secret is, I thought, as I watched this the first time. It's interesting you say that about, about fences because I really get this strong sense of it being a barrier and a safety thing and that that's what they're cutting down. It reminds me even as you're talking about, you know, how the world changes that um, I remember doing a, an interview for a family having a funeral um, and and the family were talking at this, the mother and father who had died, who would have been in their late 90s when they died, um, had moved into that neighbourhood in the 1940s in Melbourne Um as a young married couple and they'd lived in that house right, you know, for, for 50 years. Uh, and, and, and so when the, when the kids who were in their sixties are talking about growing up in that street, they knew all the kids, they played with all the kids, all of the Mr. And Mrs. So-and-so's in the street um, were called auntie this and auntie that because they were part of the family and part of the relationship and how different that is to the kind of street that I grew up in, in the eighties and nineties where, you know, there were fences. We we don't know the names of our neighbours. We don't have relationships with them. The fences are safety barriers against what might be outside our own mm. world. And I think that, for me, when they start cutting down that fence and there's obviously something on the other side that pretends it knows about his world, that's a bit scary. Yeah. Well, it's the rise of individualism, isn't it? You know, it's what the rise of individualism has done, you know, has has compartmentalised people into their family units and uh, and people are a lot more suspicious uh, about each other, and uh, I think the you know I I remember having an aunt who you know the whole street um, it was so different from my neighbourhood where everybody was far more compartmentalised, and you didn't you didn't ever um, walk into a a neighbour's house and just walk through the back door. You had to knock on the door, whereas my my aunt, you know, people nipped in and each in and out of each other's houses, and they all had a sherry at six o'clock, and uh, and they looked after each other's kids, and you know, and I, I think that um, Agnes and and her kind of it, it does feel like she's manipulating. It, it feels like she's much more manipulative mm. in the relationship of holding holding the secret and 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 letting the almost letting the cat out of the bag at the same time and it comes a time where you just can't keep playing the happy families um where where herb and agnes um and um and wanda and vision uh actually having to and geraldine are actually having to address the fact that there's just something unspoken um that is between them um and and they can't ignore it uh and uh, and they're interesting interesting responses to that uh certainly 
Geraldine gets ejected from the safe bubble. Um, she proves herself to be a threat, and so she's cast out. Um, and we get that that really amazing imagery of her flying through the air and crashing through the bubble, and then landing somewhere, um, and and somewhere somewhere real. Like you get that that re- real sense that 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 she's now beyond the walls of the fantasy. Um, she's been chucked out and. Um, so certainly we, we talked a bit about ministry and, uh, and those initial counseling conversations before that, that you also get that, uh, that, that experience sometimes where people will begin to open up about something, but, but then shut down and then you're, you're ghosted. You almost you disappeared mm. from their lives because they kind of go, well, actually I almost talked to you about something that was really personal and vulnerable. Um, so there's this, yeah, that 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 was quite a good scene with um, Geraldine flying out of the bubble. Well, there's something really, you know, like I, because because really, I mean, I, I I've seen the whole series now, but I remember watching that episode and and her being, you know, her cast out of the bubble and being so confused because here here she is in this kind of completely other world of of darkness there's a spotlight on her and there's this kind of heavy military uh military scene there's a real sense of her being uh being punished uh for being punished for trying to connect uh with wonder i yeah. think uh and uh and you know leading up to that you know her her communication with Wanda is is kind of um kind of thoughtful and careful but it's not enough it's not enough to create a connection with Wanda before bang she's she's in another reality mm. well she's a very big threat mm. there's the there's the comment about Ultron and there's the sword necklace which really you know is like massive alarm bells going off so that she's a huge threat really although she doesn't understand that interestingly you get the real sense that Geraldine is not aware of what it is she's done or what it is that made her into a threat so certainly we get that experience that, that Geraldine and Herb and the rest of the people in the village seem to have have no access to a to a, another corporate memory so even though Geraldine is from outside, and all of these people from Westview, they must have come from somewhere. Um, you know, are, are they? We're left asking the question: Are they figments constructed from Wanda's imagination? Are they real people being held against their will? Um, you know, what what is? How is this fiction being constructed? Um, and um, and I, I I guess we'll, we will get to talk more about the 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 reality for the people of the village um in later episodes but it's fascinating at this point just to kind of we, we begin to to peek through that barrier and say actually who are these people um where have they come from and and what were they before and what will they be afterwards well look this this might be this might be a quirky thing to throw into the mix but if you if you think of the um of of this neighbourhood, this community, and you use it as a kind of um, a backdrop for your own church communities, how does that play out? Well, and new people come in with different stories. You know, when a new person arrives and their narrative isn't the same, um, what does the church community do? You know, a, a healthy church community invites that person in and the whole community changes as a result. But often, I'm about to say a sad... Often what happens in communities that have existed for 40 and 50 years is that if a new person comes in, they've got to become like us. You know, yep. we don't actually want someone who's strange and different. We want our community to continue the way they are. You know, we like the, the ideal of a young a family with young children coming into the church, but actually we don't want the mess and the noise and all of that stuff that kids will bring. Um We want it to remain exactly as it is in that Stepford Wives you know, Brady Bunch, Partridge Family kind of scenario. So I... Is that what you meant by artificial, yeah. Will? Yeah, I think so. Like there's a sense in which um, as, as a minister of a church, um, I, I really uh, 
spend a lot of time thinking about the the community's purpose and mission, um, what it will what, what it will achieve and where it will go. And there are a lot of communities that I've served uh, with that actually are, are really struggling to understand what their purpose is. Um, and so they try and construct it. But in this case with Geraldine, it's really fascinating because she, the necklace indicates and her knowledge seems to indicate that she's come into the community with purpose um, and that in many ways she's an intruder. The conversation vision is happening at the same time with the neighbours is where does she live? She doesn't have a house. She's only just arrived. She's not like us. They've also put the added layer in to say that she's actually not a white suburban woman. Um, so, so there are all these things about Geraldine that actually um, make her purpose suspicious, um, and, and so it threatens the 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 construct of the community that's made. And and I've I've seen this play out in church communities where a new person comes with ideas and thoughts about. Perhaps this is how we could be doing things and they become a threat and they do end up being ejected from the community in the same way as Absolutely. Geraldine Absolutely, with has. some force too mm. well, sometimes. I've, I've seen it There's as well. propensity, isn't there, always. And I, it, it's inherent, it seems, in all of us as human beings that uh, we seem to, our first encounters with people is because they're, they're the unknown, that there's a sense of, uh, there's a sense of fear and a sense of caution. Uh, mm. the, the idea, you know, that, that idea that you were talking about, Sandy, of, you know, a community actually really being open to inviting somebody in, um, that there has to be confidence there uh, in the community to be able to hold difference, welcome difference. Mm. It's uh, not just churches either. When I first moved to where I am now, um, I uh, what I often do for my own personal benefit is is look for a community of tabletop board gamers and role players that I can actually get on board with, so that I can enjoy. Because you know you can't really do tabletop games and role playing on your own. I mean, it, you can. But it's not very exciting. Um, and and so I looked for a group and discovered to my delight when I moved here that there was a very active group of people who had been active for several. Decades decades and so I, I turned up and I, I got involved and about four weeks in they discovered that I was a minister of religion at which point a number of people became very suspicious about what my purpose might be for entering this group uh, and there was a, a sudden move to eject me from the group or at least place some conditions or boundaries around what I could say and what I could do to protect the group from what might be perceived as my purpose in joining the group, which was we would call in the church evangelism. Now, I had no mm. interest in evangelizing this group. And in fact, uh, in the past, when I have um, accidentally um, shared my faith in these kinds of groups, it kind of ruins the escapism space for me because... I go to these board games and then people want to get married or have baptisms or talk about their grief. And I'm going, I'm just here to play games. Can I just be off the book for the, for the night? Mm. Um, so there's a, there, there, there's a, there's a fascinating assumption around purpose as well, that when somebody joins our world too quickly, we start to go and maybe rightly so, why is this person suddenly so interested in my world? Um, and, and uh, I think there's an element of that with Geraldine as well. Mm. Well, and again, it, come, it comes back to that, that concept of first perception. You know, people don't go beyond seeing, uh, seeing the role, seeing you as minister rather than, you know, going beyond that, going beyond that first perception to go, well, who is this guy called Will and how come he likes games and, and, and why does he wear those pink glasses? Like <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, you absolutely. become a cardboard cutout too, don't you, in that moment yeah. when you say, oh, I am a minister, then immediately everybody's assumptions about religion or what a minister is suddenly comes into play and you must be like, you know, all those ministers we've seen on, on Midsummer Murders who are a bit bit mad, you know, or whatever, uh, rather than being um, hot-blooded, normal human being who has all the emotional responses of everybody else. Yeah, there's nothing like, uh, quite like playing cards against humanity with a group of people who know that you're a minister. Um, they really push the boundaries. Um, uh, I don't know if anybody's played the 
the Cards Against Humanity game, but it's a it's a particularly um, um, uh, deep game that actually asks tough ethical questions, uh, and uh, and uh, it's a it can become quite crude as well at times. But there's a sense in which um, these boundaries are actually really really significant, um, and 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 stereotypes uh, are are a real issue. Um, and and certainly that's what Geraldine finds as she's purposefully entered this community for a particular reason and injected um, because that reason is perceived as a threat. So why is she there? Well, we'll get that answered next week when we move on into our next episode, uh, which is uh, called um, We Interrupt uh, This Program. Um, we, we get right into the midst of the interruption. Uh, we get a picture of what the world looks like beyond the barrier of fantasy that um, Wanda has created. Can we just... I had a feeling you were going to say something like that. <laughs> just before we go, can we just come back to one scene that I just so uh, so loved in this episode and it really echoes that something is coming, like something is on its way on its way and it's persistent you can't hold back reality and that's the stork mm. Geraldine sitting yep. on the couch and the stork comes out of out of nowhere uh, or off the wall it's the painted stork on the baby's wall and and here's the stork um, hovering behind Geraldine who doesn't know it's there and it's just yeah it's a it's a lovely um, it's a lovely expression of what is to come and her legs. I love the pants with the with the fish. Yes, on right? I just love it, and how, and how that bird goes up and has a good peck at one of the fish. It's great. Love it. And the tension in the scene is just so Brady Bunch. I mean, there are there you could you could go to just about every episode of the Brady Bunch, and there's this whole se- whole series of scenes where somebody is trying to normalize something while something vastly abnormal is happening in the background. Um, it's a it's a very uh, 80s trope for the family sitcom. But what was fascinating was that as as absurd and and slapstick and and comical as that whole attempt to to mask and to cover over um, that situation was, in the next moment when Geraldine makes her reveal that she knows more, none of that matters because something more absurd, something more bizarre, something so it, it's. Uh, it's a classic example. I was about to say it's trumped by, um, and um, isn't it amazing how even using you know that 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 the word trump has actually now changed its connotation. It was a word I might have used regularly, um, that uh, I now attempt to avoid using because, well, Trump has trumped every other president when it comes to um, absurdity. Um, trump yeah, well, the I, word it's, Trump. That's right. Um, so it's, that's fascinating. There was one scene I also wanted to um, get back to um, uh, before we finish today, um, and that was there was this line after the babies are born um, where Wanda says to Vision, meet your son as yourself. Oh. Uh, and he, he drops his, his human visage and he becomes his, his, his purple self in this episode. And um, hadn't really noticed it, but throughout this episode now in colour, um, we really haven't seen Vision um, drop that vis- that human visage uh, in the same way as he does, and and for me, I, I found that a really deeply moving one. Uh, um, that that um, with my own children, um, there is this sense that there's so much expectation as a parent about how we are and who we are to be. That 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 when my 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 children become adults, um, you know, how do we now meet them? Um, in an equal space, and and that got me thinking a bit about how I meet my my own father and my own mother um, in in that space, and so it, for, there is that sense in which there's this constant tension about meeting our children as ourselves, um, um, whilst not compromising the role of being a parent, which um, was quite moving for me. Yeah, I thought it was such lovely. a fine line, isn't it? Sandy, any final thoughts from you as we uh, bring our episode to a conclusion today? Well, I'm off to watch episode four. I need to know what happens next. So I'm kind of excited about, about next time and where we go from here. 
at the end of each episode, we've actually had an advance. We've had something new happen, something shift at the end of this episode, um, which um, we had color at the end of the last one. We actually moved to widescreen. The, the edges of the screen actually push outwards and we're now using the whole screen. Um, oh, so at the very that. end, that actually occurs, which is a, a fascinating thing too, um, that, uh, that we, we, we no longer satisfied peering at tiny little screens, but actually we, our screens are getting bigger and our experience mm. is actually getting broader. Uh, and certainly that's been the experience of technology over the, Can- the time too. Can I ask one question before you go to Julie? Do we miss any Easter eggs? Uh, so we had that um, uh, Hydra Soak uh, Stark Easter egg. Um, just having a look at my my. Um, I don't know that I've got any more. Uh, Julie, do you want to just um, uh, um, share any final thoughts? Just while I quickly have a look at that. As yeah, well. sure. No, I, I'm I'm looking forward to the next episode too. Uh, to to go back and and return to it and uh, and you know pick up where we're leaving off with Geraldine uh, there in the grass you know, a kind of military scene around her with the spotlight as she lays there in her uh, 60s outfit. So a couple of uh, Easter eggs that we have got here uh, is that uh, Vision who's practising diaper changes on a doll. Um, (laughs) That is the Kitty Carrie All doll from the Brady Bunch, the one that was uh, created (laughs) such a great controversy. Um, So that's a a fascinating little Easter egg there. Oh, my Um, goodness, I remember Kitty Carrie All. Kitty Carrie All, that's right. (laughs) That's so good. I do know you say it. Oh uh, and just having a look to see if that's there's any reminding others. me of my uh, Thumbelina paint- doll, my Thumbelina, Thumbelina doll dolls. that used to drink a little bottle. Oh my goodness! <gasps> yes. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> we've got uh, Daydream Believer by the Monkeys at the end as well. Uh, singer Davy Jones uh, was Marsha Brady's favourite pop star during oh. the Brady Bunch. Um, he went to the, the prom with her. Yeah, that's yeah? right. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, there's there's a couple of little Easter eggs in there um that that um that that come out for us. Um and and, and probably many, many more. If uh, you're listening and uh, you'd like to add to that list of Easter eggs, you can go to the Never Odd or even Facebook page and leave us a comment. Um and uh, if you've got some thoughts or or, or ideas um, that have been triggered for you or inspired for you during this podcast, then we would love to hear your comments there. Uh, and please uh, don't forget that um, Never Odd or Even um, does have a Patreon account. So um, if you'd like to be a supporter and you'd like to hear more podcasts like this one, um, then uh, get on board and um, become a supporter of Never Odd or Even on Patreon at neverodoreven.media. Um, I think that's probably all for us this week. Um, looking forward to uh, interrupting our regularly scheduled program next week as we get a better look at beyond that pixelated barrier and see what the military is up to outside. So Thanks. much fun. Thanks, to Andy. Yeah, thank you both very much. This has been the WandaVision podcast and uh, we're looking forward to returning next week. 